0: and welcome to the show this is episode number 91 of pop culturally deprived and today we're going to be talking about desperately seeking susan on your how do you use the birds podcast i'm mandy kay
1: and i'm matthew vose this week i am delighted to uh, invite on the show we have eric malinsky from the imaginary worlds podcast a podcast about how we create them and why we suspend our disbelief eric welcome to pop culturally deprived thank you Um, Imaginary Worlds is is probably one of the podcasts I recommend the most Um, I always describe it as kind of 99% invisible but about sci-fi and fantasy so it's really exciting (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah no me too yeah um it's i mean my background is in public radio i worked at new york public radio for a long time but it it's a subject that public radio never takes very seriously mm. so i always sort of say like you know i pitched the show of what if radio lab or this american life went to comic-con and decided that's all they ever wanted to talk about <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. kind of how i pitched the show
1: yeah it's great we we like genre stuff over here um mm. your, your episode on the the educational concepts of the sorting hat in harry potter because I work at a university, I have shared that with a lot of people. Like, this is a really interesting idea. Go and listen. <laughs> cool.
2: Well, it's funny because, I mean, with the movie that we're talking about today, I mean, it, my first thought is, oh, well, obviously I should talk to you about some sci-fi mm. fantasy thing. But then I realize, well, this is a movie that I would never, ever talk about on my podcast. So it's kind of cool to have a chance to talk about this particular movie because it has no sci-fi fantasy elements other than the fact that it's 100% implausible. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I I was expecting you to come back with like, oh, Metropolis, 2001, silent running. Yeah, but I feel like that's stuff
2: I always talk about anyway in my podcast. Like I never get to talk about something like this.
1: Okay, I think we're going to dive into a bit later about why you picked this, um, which I'm really excited for. So uh, Mandy, how come you've never seen Desperately Seeking Susan?
0: Literally all I've ever known about this movie is that Madonna was in it. And I was never a fan of Madonna when I was younger, not to mention that I wasn't allowed to listen to Madonna when I was younger. So this is just a movie. Um, I came from a very sheltered childhood background, um, kind of religious and and fundamentalist a little bit. And so there were very clear lines of things I was allowed to do and things I wasn't allowed to do, Uh, which is one of the reasons why I have this podcast now, because now I can watch whatever I want to. I'm a great-ass woman. So... I'm watching all of the things now.
2: It's funny. I was the child. I was the kid where, you know, they just parked me in front of the TV and <clears throat> I literally could watch anything. I mean, I was watching, sadly, I was watching R-rated movies at a at an age I probably shouldn't have.
0: Yeah, it's funny. Usually, I don't come across too many people who say that they weren't allowed to watch things that I wasn't allowed to watch when I was younger. Um, but I was. I put out a call on Twitter yesterday for people to tell me what their thoughts were about this movie. And I was astonished at how many people told me they had either never heard of it or never watched it because they weren't allowed to watch Madonna when they were kids.
2: Wow. I'm not surprised people haven't heard of it. I mean, it's kind of, it's so of its time, but uh, the fact that they weren't, I didn't know that Madonna was so verboten for a lot of people. I think, um,
0: yeah, she was definitely pretty radical, I think, if you were younger
2: yeah. I mean this I mean I at that at this age or even younger than this age, I was watching um Purple Rain, which was hmm. really should not have been watching at the age <laughs> of 13, but I love that movie. I don't know if you've seen Purple Rain. I've not. It's uh yeah, it's edgy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's on the list
1: one to uh, revisit one time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, since we have so many folks who don't know anything about Desperately Seeking Susan, um, here's a little background. Uh, Desperately Seeking Susan is a 1985 dramedy starring Madonna and Rosanna Arquette and directed by Susan Seidel. It was Madonna's first major role in a film, and Aidan Quinn, Laurie Metcalf, and John Totoro all had roles early on in their careers. Filmmakers wanted to cast Diane Keaton and Goldie Hawn, but Seidel cast Madonna and Arquette to appeal to a younger fan base. After her first screen test, producers asked Madonna to get acting lessons for four weeks and then try again. But they cast her anyway when the results weren't much better. It was originally meant to be rated R, but content was trimmed to get it down to PG-13 so that they could market the movie to Madonna's teenage fans. It was a box office success in terms of numbers. With a $4 million budget, it returned $27 million. The New York Times named it one of the best movies of 1985, and Arquette won the BAFTA Award for Best Supporting Actress for her portrayal of Roberta, which I think is really weird because Arquette had way more screen time than Madonna did.
2: Yeah, that's true. That's true.
0: So IMDb says that this movie is about a bored suburban housewife seeking escape from her life, suffers amnesia after an accident, wakes up and is mistaken for a free spirited New York City drifter named Susan. And as usual, that's kind of right, but doesn't quite capture the spirit of the movie. Um, I think it's really about a woman discovering who she is through wacky hijinks and mistaken identity.
1: Yeah, I saw an interesting comment about it being uh, she goes into an Alice in Wonderland style I can't remember how they described it, romp, something. That, that is almost a, a great description for it. This kind of suddenly she's in a world completely different than anything she's experienced. I like that. Eric, how were you able to watch the film? Did you see this in theaters originally? Oh, yeah, I'm old. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was 14. I'm
2: literally dating myself here. I was 14. I have this weird thing where I have a, I don't have a great, I have a very spotty memory, but I have this weird superpower where I can literally remember every movie I saw exactly where I saw it. <laughs> so I remember I was in a multiplex in Natick, Massachusetts, which is a suburb of Boston. This is back in the days, you know, before, of course, the internet where, um, you know, you may have, I lived in a small town much closer to Boston, but we didn't have like, like, you know, the mall is where you've got mm. everything. So you had to go on a highway out to the mall to do anything. Um, which was like a half hour away. And so my friend Billy Roberts, it was one of those things where my mom would drop us off, my friend Billy and I, go to the movies, she'd go shopping or something, and then just pick us up two
1: hours later and bring us back home. So, yes, I, I remember it very well. Have you been able to rewatch it for this recording? Are you going off your memory on this?
2: I am, but you know, they show it on TV quite often. So, mm-hmm. um, in fact, pretty recently I was watching it with my wife. It just, anytime it pops up, I'll just watch it. I think I used to own the. VHS copy of it as well. <laughs>
1: nice. Yeah, the TV is where I remember seeing it the first time, and it seemed to be on very regularly. But on the kind of the the channel that does these, these sort of edgier movies and shows. Mm. Uh, over here, it's available to rent on Amazon Prime. It's not on any of the free streaming services. Mandy, did you find it anywhere?
0: <laughs> no, it's not on any of the subscription services. Um, you can rent it on Amazon Prime, but I also discovered that it's available on two of Amazon's prime channels that you could subscribe to and i did the seven day free trial of the fandom channel so i got to watch it that way
1: great okay um you talked about the cast and the director up top have you seen any of them in anything else do you know who madonna is
0: i do know who madonna is (laughs) (laughs) um i was never actually a, a fan of madonna's music largely because i wasn't allowed to listen to her um but i mean everybody knows who madonna is even now people still know who madonna is um And, of course, A League of Their Own was one of my favorite movies when I was younger, and she was in that.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, um, being uh, old as I am, uh, I mean, I remember when when Madonna first debuted, when, like, you know, our lives revolved around MTV. And uh, when, like, um, I think Lucky Star was—
1: showed music videos yes for for those people (laughs) who don't know mtv
2: stands for music television um yeah uh they would show i remember lucky star i think was her first um it was either lucky star or like a virgin but i'm pretty certain it was lucky star was the first Mm. video and people were going crazy over her and i never kind of got i i didn't really come to appreciate madonna till later till probably she hit her uh, I think once you hit Vogue and express yourself in the early 90s and even with True Blue, I think that's when people start taking Madonna so seriously. I never quite got, I mean, I was a boy, you know, I was a 13 year old boy. So like, I, I thought her music was fine, but I was like, I was really into Prince, you know, <laughs> that was like my thing at the time. Right. Um, I like Springsteen as well, even though they're very different. So, but I mean, Madonna was just like, it was like literally the air you breathed back then was Madonna, Michael Jackson or Prince. So, I mean, it was like, they were just
1: such a big part of our lives. And Arquette and the director, have you seen anything of theirs, Mandy?
0: um I, I know i've seen rosanna arquette and other things but i tend to just know her as one of those arquettes
2: <laughs> yeah she was in pulp fiction uh i don't know if you saw that one
0: i did that was actually one of the first movies we did for the show but i don't recall her
1: she's the drug dealer's wife i think
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when they're about to about to plunge the syringe into Uma Thurman, and she's like, "There's some great cutaways to her during that." Oh, that scene. okay, hmm. okay. But she was in a lot of movies in the '80s. Was in R.K. Yeah,
0: unfortunately, '80s are the black hole of my pop culture experience. So we. <laughs> <laughs> We're starting to My work. My God, it was the those. food. Was like if,
2: and then, I don't know if you've seen The Matrix, but uh, if the you know the the babies are these like tubes that are being like this black liquid that's being inserted into them. I think I was the baby to which eighties culture was <laughs> okay. Sorry, <inserted. laughs> right, that was a very bleak metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> I think you, I should come up with something a little more uh, upbeat than that because eighties <laughs> culture is very fun. It is fun. You'll
1: be pleased to hear we um, we did Top Gun a few weeks ago. Oh, I saw Did that we- in
2: the Hyannis Mall with Adam Tratt. and we uh, <laughs> we brought in. Um, for some reason, we decided to try. We never. We were like, "What if we go to a Chinese restaurant and just bring in lo mein noodles and eat them with our fingers?" While we watch? so my memories of Top Gun are having very greasy fingers. Wow,
0: <laughs> that is a superpower of yours, isn't it? That <laughs> you really can't it, remember. It's, it's
2: so useless too. Um,
0: <laughs> oh goodness, yeah. Um, I. Did not do my homework well enough and did not look up the director, but I had never heard of her before. So if she has done something that I've seen, I'm unaware. Aidan Quinn, I I know his name. Um, And Aidan Quinn was also in Practical Magic, which is really where I know him from.
2: (laughs) He's on elementary now. He's like the grizzled older cop who oversees uh, Holmes and Watson.
0: Oh, Oh. I can't imagine him as a grizzled older cop. I might have to... If nothing else, just look up a clip of that.
1: Yeah,
2: he's aged. Yeah, okay.
1: (laughs) Haven't we all? Um, I was wondering, because I saw all your references to Aiden Quinn, and I was like, I I don't know who this dude is. Mm. Why does Mandy keep referencing him? It's like, of course it's Aiden Quinn. His eyes. Practical magic. That's all. Legends of the (laughs) Fall, too.
0: Oh, yes. You're absolutely right.
1: Uh, Normally, I ask you if you've seen similar material, but I'm not sure there's too much that's very similar to this one. Uh, this really does stand stand alone, but it is a great snapshot of its time. There are films like this for I think every era. Uh, so I'm going to cut right to the chase. Mandy, did you enjoy Desperately Seeking Susan?
0: Eh, I didn't hate it. <laughs> That's good, right?
1: Yeah. So I I, I was intrigued. Like I say, I went through your notes and, and I couldn't tell quite what you'd thought about it. So that might be the right reaction. It's not the articulate reaction um about what you thought what why was there anything that stopped you from loving it or was there anything that elevated it to stop you hating it
0: um I think the ending elevated it for me uh and made kind of the craziness of the previous two hours worth it um I think the sheer absurdity of it and the implausibility of it just kind of frustrated me a little bit one of my pet peeves is, and we've talked about this on the show before, is false conflict where it could everything can be resolved if people just talk to each other and nobody talks to each other in this movie. <laughs> and it's just very frustrating to me.
1: Yeah, lots of scenes do end with people just walking off or hanging up. So, so it very much is, and we're closing communication now. We're not going to continue that on.
0: Right. I mean, even, like, I understand Roberta... Suddenly not remember who, not remembering who she is. And I understand Des assuming that she's Susan because she's got the jacket on. She's blonde. She's in the right place. You know, it, that kind of all makes sense. But then nobody asks any questions. And, you know, things just spiral. And then as soon as she gets her memory back, the first thing she should have told him was who she was. But no, she decided to have sex with him instead just got frustrating that's all
1: she does try but he works very hard to believe that she's Susan
2: I you know to me I sort of chalk that up to a lot of the characters conflicting emotions as to whether they really wanted to tell the truth or not you know I think that she when she realized who she was my feeling was she just thought like oh right that's who I am like she doesn't want she doesn't Mm want to go back Mm -hmm. to being Roberta from Fort Lee New Jersey anymore but she knows that she's lying so that 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 part didn't bother me as much but you know
0: Okay.
1: So, like we said up top, I I was fully expecting, Eric, that you were going to uh, come back with some sort of classic sci-fi, a ghost in the shell, or something like that. Um, but, but this film, you, you talked about it actually speaking to you and being quite important to you. Can you fill us in on that? I, I really want to hear the story.
2: Yeah, so for me, um, you know, a big part of me for my kind of, even my own, like, identity in a weird way as a person, I, so I grew up in, you know, suburban Massachusetts, and it's very... I felt it was a very sheltered life, very sort of, um, you know, we will protect you in this little suburban bubble uh, away from the world of the city. And I, I was obsessed with the city at the time was Boston, but I was just obsessed with cities in general in the sense that everything that was interesting and edgy and dangerous was in a city. And I was in this utterly super protected but boring suburb and there was a whole string of movies in the 80s that were like this um adventures in babysitting ferris bueller risky business particularly um even like purple rain too was it was about this this new sort of gritty sexy urban world as opposed to like the cities in the 70s were just like a war zone (laughs) you know Mm. like you just survived the city (laughs) or it was a futuristic apocalyptic war zone but suddenly cities were kind of cool again and this is going to be super weird, but, like, I completely identified with Roberta, this housewife right. in, in Fort Lee, New Jersey. I I just, like, I understood her, weirdly enough. Um, she was, like, in a gilded cage. and uh, And especially now that I live in New York, I completely get it. Because, like, Manhattan is this vertical strip of land. And on the right side is Queens and Brooklyn, and it's still very much New York. And on the left side of the river of the Hudson River is New Jersey. And it's really weird because it is so physically close to New York, but the minute you go over the bridge or under the tunnel, you are in a completely different world. And you could be just be like sitting in a suburb or just sitting in some kind of crappy Jersey town and you see the glittering skyline of Manhattan just across. uh, And it really feels like Kansas and Oz, you know, just sort of one flat up against each other. And uh, this movie in particular, the way that New York City is portrayed, I mean, the fact that I live here now, uh, I, in a weird way, I can, I can bring it back to Desperately Seeking Susan. And the way that New York was portrayed in this movie was just this, um, this sense of, like, I want to go there. Like, this was Oz, you know, and Fort Lee, New Jersey was Kansas. And I felt like this moment of, like, yeah, that's Oz. I want to go there. And the other weird thing is that I really like Aiden K- Quinn's character to me was like the coolest dude I. <laughs> At 14 that I thought I'd ever seen you know and he kind of looked like what I thought I might look like when I grew up because you know I felt like everybody in my town was taller and blonder and more athletic than I was okay. um, and you know I thought he was so cool that he like rode a motorcycle and lived above a Chinese restaurant and I remember with his, his girlfriend moving out there's this reference to him listening to Charlie Parker records and having Bruce Lee posters and at the time I had no idea who Charlie Parker or Bruce Lee were but I'm like I bet they're really cool <laughs> and so, So I remember, like, when I eventually lived in L.A., I lived behind a Chinese restaurant. I had to park in an alleyway, and I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of like Aiden Quinn's character. And I became, like, a projectionist in college and thinking at the time, yeah, I'm kind of like that character. You know, I was, like, listening to Charlie Parker CDs, and I was into sort of Jackie Chan movies. And it's weird. Like, it's not like my whole, this has been, like, my lodestar my whole life. But there are just certain moments where I think to myself, wow, it's sort of weird how much of my, like, And even now, you know, my family, of course, still lives back there. And every time I go back, you know, to that world and see people I grew up with who have continued to like, they live like five minutes away from their parents and, you know, are sending their kids to the same schools that we went to or pretty much close to that. You know, there's a sense of like, I, you know, I, I, I'm like, that's not the life I wanted to live. You know, I wanted Mm -hmm. to live in this kooky, crazy city, even though. And so in that sense, I feel like also the implausibility of the plot. For a 14-year-old boy, it all made perfect sense to me in the same way that Rambo also made perfect sense (laughs) to me at that age, as did Rocky IV, like movies that are utterly absurd. And so when I see it on TV now, I cannot see it through the eyes of, of, of somebody now. Like the minute that thing is on TV, it's like Star Wars. It's like I go back to being a child again, and I cannot, I can't unsee this movie through the eyes of me being like 14 years old. Uh, and, and also within the culture of the 1980s. So anyway, that's that's the reason why this movie always meant a lot to me. And it almost has nothing to do with the plot. It's just sort of the setting itself.
0: Yeah, I really like that. I think hearing you tell that story kind of gives me a deeper appreciation of the movie. Just kind of seeing how something like this can impact someone's life. You know, that, that gives it elevation to me other than just... Paying attention to the plot, which is really all I have when I'm f- just now watching it for the first time in my 30s in 2018. Uh, so thank you for sharing that with
2: us. Yeah, sure. And I know that, the again, it's like the 80s culture. I know it's sort of such a joke now, all this 80s fashion, but it's sort of hard to imagine how freaking cool <laughs> it looked back then. I just thought. I mean, you know, this is like you see the stuff in a movie, and you're like, I want to go to junior high now with a with a blazer rolled up and my you know with my collar up and a t shirt underneath because it just even though at four I looked ridiculous wearing clothes like that at that age. Um, but it's like. You know, and oh, and I even wore like black armbands because Madonna wore black armbands. You know, and I thought that she had, she used to have like a ton of little black armbands. These little just these like little black, almost rubber wire things, and she used to have a lot of them on her um, on her wrist. And I think guys sometimes would wear them too because she wore them. That was just her style. And I remember wearing those at that age because I just thought it was it was like the epitome of all things that were cool.
1: Yeah, I can completely see what you're saying about the plot, particularly that young when you've not experienced the world and how relationships and living in the city work, you'd you'd look at this and go, Oh, this is how it works. Yeah, exactly. This would be my, you know, my understanding for it going forward and so on. And you know, you learn differences and how things actually work and so on. But you could watch this and go, oh, okay, he just takes her in, he just looks after her, even though he thinks she's Susan and has no idea who she is right
2: good luck you know hooks up with her even though it may be his best friend's girlfriend (laughs) (laughs) i mean i remember like i used to love miami vice at this age i literally Mm. thought this is the way the adult world works this is the real world and i remember miami vice was on recently on tv and i just could not get over how unbelievably ludicrous the show was and i was like how did i not see this at the age of like 14 you know that like The idea that they wear these ridiculously fancy suits and drive these incredibly fancy cars is because they're, quote, undercover as drug dealers, even though... They bust just about every drug dealer in Miami, and yet no one seems to talk to each other and explain that these guys are actually not undercover. Yeah. <laughs> they are not drug dealers; they're undercover cops. Yet nobody seems to know who they are, and they they have the most ludicrous, like back, you know, cover stories as to them not being cops. And they do so little to hide the fact that they're really cops. It's so, and yet to me, it's yeah. At that age, you're like, yeah, of course, that makes total sense.
1: I think the, uh, Mandy, your comment about the. Uh, unbelievably uh, unbelievability of mm-hmm. it or, or buying into it. And sometimes I, I think it, it's the way the film has this kind of attitude that is almost hard to pin down. You, you talked about it as a dramedy uh, and that I don't know that it threads the needle to make them work together. There's times when it feels like it should be a sort of gritty drama about a kind of seedy underworld. And there's times where it's just a bit bonkers, particularly when we're doing the, the Kansas stuff, the, the uh, Fort Lee stuff. And everyone just doesn't really seem to care and makes jokes about everything.
0: Yeah, I I had a hard time when I was putting that, you know, history together. I was trying to figure out the best way to describe the movie. Wikipedia calls it a comedy drama. And I was like, it's not really a comedy. It's not really a drama. But I don't really know what else to describe it as. Mm. It, because it it's very frenetic in, in the way that it goes back and forth between the two. It's almost as if the movie itself doesn't know what it is.
1: Hmm.
2: Yeah, it's funny because I feel like in the 80s, there were a lot of comedies that were, had like, you know, they used to say in in LA, I was a script reader for a while in in Los Angeles after college. And one of the critiques you would often say is the script has tonal issues, which means it doesn't know Hmm. what genre it is. But I feel like a lot of comedies in the 80s were like that. Like, if you go back and look at like 48 Hours, you know, with Eddie Murphy, um or something wild. I mean, there are some elements there that should not be in a comedy, but they were. Um, I mean, Heathers, obviously. I mean, after—oh, mm. Oh Rosanna Arquette was in After Hours. That's a great movie, at least as far as I knew at that age. I haven't watched <laughs> it since then. Also, Count, yes. probably a <laughs> completely implausible movie, but it's a great movie. Uh, I think so. Um, <laughs> but she was in that one, too. Really, I mean, people—you know, I feel like there was just a lot of— sex and violence in a lot of you know i remember my nieces were uh, my niece with the time was maybe like 11 and she was curious about back to the future because my brother and i my brother-in-law and i are big geeks and we're talking about things like back to the future mm. so like oh yeah let's show her back to the future I mean, they're swearing in Back to the Future. I mean, Doc Brown gets, like, blown away by Libyan terrorists shooting him with a machine gun at the beginning. You know, there's a point where we think the dog has been evaporated. And, like, you know, and, of course, the whole plot is that Marty McFly's mother has the hots for him, and he's kind of attracted to her, too. So, like, there's a lot of incest in it. And, I, and like, she was like, this is so inappropriate. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> has... <laughs> <laughs> it really and also to the whole point of that movie was they go back to the 50s where everything was sweeter and more innocent and i'm like huh that's interesting because we're here we are going back to the 80s same you know same time difference of 30 years but mm. certainly the 80s seemed shockingly edgy to a kid growing up and at the time was probably like
1: 2015 yeah yeah you go back to like greece i think we were talking about recently mm-hmm. that's wildly problematic in places and yet beloved you know let's go and sit outside and watch it and have a sing-along Awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's an abortion storyline in Greece. Mm. Um, actually, Mandy, you were saying at the beginning about Diane Keaton and Goldie Horn almost being cast in this. Mm-hmm. I could see it with them in having a, a almost Woody Allen-esque comedy to mm-hmm. it. That sort of style with actual comedic actresses, but the two who got cast in the end, it just feels like with them you have to start doing the whole thing about the clothes and the jacket. I don't think that would have worked with Uh, the other two and even you know going in and getting boots by trading in your jacket and saying oh this is my Jimi Hendrix jacket like that's another thing that you watch and go oh yeah that could happen I mean I doubt it ever has happened or ever could happen but it is a nice way to view the world and want want it all to work so sometimes it kind of gets it right and works
0: yeah that's the kind of thing that when you watch it you believe that it would happen for Madonna (laughs) (laughs) I mean honestly yeah (laughs) I don't think Diane Keaton could have pulled that off.
2: <laughs> I, I also, I mean, again, because I'm just, I, I just have such a irrational fondness for this movie. I love her terrible acting in this movie. <laughs> I kind of love her f- the flat way she reads all of her lines. I don't know. It
1: just, I find it very endearing. I think it totally works for the character. She is just too cool for any of it. Mm-hmm. And it's just strutting through the movie being Madonna. Yeah, it almost reminds me of like at a
2: cartoon at the time where they'd get a celebrity like to be on Scooby-Doo and the person could not right. read their lines at all. And they'd be like, thanks a lot, <laughs> celebrity. Thanks, Scrappy and Scooby. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think I really picked up on it as being bad acting per se. I was, I was very much reading it as a character decision of like Matthew said, she's just too too cool to care which maybe is a good thing um i may have enjoyed it less if i had decided that oh she just can't act and this is terrible
2: yes and some of her later movies where she really was trying to act some of those which have been forgotten to history but you can find them on imdb
0: someone mentioned on twitter that she was in dick tracy
2: Oh yeah. She was a, <laughs> Which was, I yes, forgot she was
0: a movie that existed until that was mentioned. I haven't seen it but horrible movie.
2: That was <laughs> that that, that yeah. was the weirdest thing. Somebody pointed this out. After Batman was a big hit in nineteen eighty nine People in hollywood rather than thinking oh we need to make more superhero movies were like we need to make more things based on properties from the 1940s and so there was a (sighs) whole there was like the shadow movie with alec baldwin and they made this Mm. huge big budget dick tracy movie which they uh, this was the year i graduated high school they advertised the hell out of that movie and it was it was completely ripping off on Tim Burton's Batman and it was, it was terrible, but yeah, she was the kind of quote love interest for that movie. And she had a song, which is not a good song. That was like the, that they pushed all over the radio that, that summer. And it was, it was, the movie did not do well. Even at the time, everyone was just like, Oh my God, this is a giant mistake of a movie. (laughs) And yet, and yet it's got Al Pacino in it. It does. Oh, and she was dating Warren Beatty at the time, of course. So that was also part of it. Oh, really? Okay. That was part of the whole thing of that movie. Hmm.
0: Well, you guys have convinced me that that's a movie that is not going on the list.
2: Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Don't watch it. In fact, <laughs> okay. I, we should we should wipe your mind from knowing it had ever happened. <laughs> All right. <laughs>
1: One of the films that we watched last year, um, I ended up being quite reminded of for uh, Thelma and Louise. Uh, the story about the, the unhappy housewife and just how boorish and awful the, the husband is. Uh, and obviously that came a, a few years after this. And I do wonder if this... Uh, not the, the two films are different in story and, and in some of their style. But I wonder if that did lay a bit of the groundwork for, oh, this could be an interesting thread to take in a different way. To do it as a more gritty drama rather than the the sort of lighter dramedy that we have here. Did did either of you get any of that? Does, is it, am I just putting it there because I saw Thelma and Louise recently? Uh, I, I bet it was probably just in the zeitgeist at the time.
2: I would probably imagine because I feel like that was a common trope back then. Uh, something Wild okay. as well had the kind of a similar sort of the the sort of the the boring predictable guy versus the exciting but unstable guy i don't know i feel like that was kind of in the air to some extent i don't know i i like um who's the actor who played gary glass i thought he was very funny in that role but you, yeah, you you thought he was pretty creepy
0: <laughs> i super thought he was creepy yeah <laughs> yeah
1: yeah yeah they don't set us up to like him right from the beginning he is not getting a good happy ending
0: no i think um you know just kind of going back to your your question about thelma and louise i i didn't get those vibes while i was watching it But listening to you express kind of what you were thinking and feeling does make me wonder because the thing that I enjoyed the most about this movie was the ending. And if you remember, the thing I hated the most about Thelma and Louise was its ending. But they end Mm. very similarly. I mean, not because there's, you know, suicide in this one, but because in, in both instances, the bored housewife escapes the life that she was living and i was thinking watching this one i didn't know how it was going to end because movies particularly movies that are going for a happy ending don't tend to tear apart marriages oftentimes whenever you have a situation like this where the woman is bored and wants to leave the the man they're not married yet because you know, breaking up marriages is not something that they tend to do, particularly in the 80s and 90s on screen. And so I didn't know how this could possibly end well. And so I was pleasantly surprised to find that she decided to own herself, figure out who she really was, and take the life that she wanted and not go back to where she was supposed to be. And that is definitely a theme in Thelma and Louise as well, even though I didn't like Thelma and Louise
2: yeah yeah I never really kind of I know it's a big feminist statement that movie but it just seemed to me to be an incredibly depressing like you know it's fatalistic kind of there's no way they could live life on their own so they might as well die on their own terms I never kind of understood why that was an empowering message
0: I when I watched it I kind of felt the same way um, after the conversation that we had, we had a guest on for that episode who's very passionate about the movie and it did make me think about it differently. And I'm hoping to revisit it soon and kind of see if my perspective has changed now that I've had that conversation and a lot of time has passed since I watched it the first time. Um, and I'm wondering now if if watching this movie that had a similar feeling ending as far as thematically, um, not physically, if, if that may change the approach that I take when I watch it this time so I'm I'm curious about that um, especially since I did really really enjoy the idea that Roberta did walk away and she decided to go be happy because she knew she wasn't going to be happy at home yeah
2: I mean they I think also when they added the part about the fact that Gary was having an affair I think that was the thing that they that was the sort of the sign to the audience about she's going to leave him eventually don't feel bad about it he was already cheating on her yeah Mm. Uh,
0: perfectly respectable affair. Like I, If I could reach through televisions
2: and like choke <laughs> characters, I would have done it. Mm. I think it's funny because I feel like, the weirdly enough, the older I get, the more I enjoy performances of actors who are convincingly creepy to the point where I, I hate them, but yet I appreciate how good the actor was at making me hate them as opposed to me mm. just hating them. I don't know why, but I feel like I, I, I tend to... I, I don't know. It's weird. I, I, I tend to, I, I, I think at the time too, I just thought he was creepy. I hated him. But then now I'm just like, man, that actor is doing a great, <laughs> he's a very he's great at being a creep.
0: Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to separate the two, but when you can, you can appreciate the craft behind the actor who is making you hate him.
2: Yeah. In fact, we need to, we need to look up this guy's name because we keep referring to him. Uh, Mark Bloom. Oh. Blum Bloom. I think it's Bloom. Hmm.
0: I feel like I've seen him on TV somewhere because his face was vaguely familiar, but... Yeah. I don't know. He he knocked it out of the park in making me hate him, so well done, Mark Bloom. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you you do have to respect somebody who evokes a reaction, even if it's something like that. Like, okay, it, it, it got somewhere at least.
2: Yeah, and I think also, I mean, a comedy like this, I feel like you're going for types, you know? I mean, I feel like mm. everybody was, was very much a kind of you know the central casting idea of what this type of you know person is going to be that there's not going to be a lot yeah. of nuance to these kinds of characters
0: yeah laurie Metcalf kind of nailed her character too i think she was so infuriatingly frustrating but you also still kind of liked her
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> frustrating i like that <laughs> and, and yeah if we're talking about someone who plays to type i mean that is exactly the role she does oh and also stephen yeah. wright as the dentist did
2: you did you know who stephen wright is
0: No, he looks vaguely familiar. I feel like I've seen him in something and he always kind of has like a deadpan style about him, but I I could be just making that up.
2: No, no, no. He was like, believe it or not, he was a huge comedian back then. And his whole shtick was that he was deadpan and absurdist. So he would say, I had his comedy album. I knew it by heart. He'd say things (laughs) like, I like to tease my plants. I water them with ice cubes. (laughs) you know so like like those are the kinds of jokes he would tell like he always looked like he was he was profoundly depressed and yet decided to go on and uh tell jokes but that was part of his shtick um Mm -hmm. and so but Mm -hmm. like he was really popular comedian believe it or not for like he had his like 15 minutes of fame in the 80s and it was
1: around the time so i think it's like one of the few movie roles he did okay But I I love Laurie Metcalf in this I think everything she does because she just plays everything so straight and the bit at the end where they go to the magic club place and she's got a rum and tab which I've never even considered and I am going to find some tab and have a rum and tab one day because that sounds amazing (laughs) Um, but the dentist makes a comment he sees and I can't remember whether it's Susan or Roberta that he sees but he sees her and he says god she's gorgeous and she just looks and goes beauty fades yeah <laughs> That's perfect. That is exactly what we want from a character who knows herself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think we are moving into what are our favorite things from this, Eric. I'm not. We don't let guests say everything, all of everything. um But are, are there things than this that you take with you, the lines that you quote, performances that you always go back to? Well, it's funny because I mean the Gary Glass thing. I think
2: my wife and I sometimes we comment if we meet somebody that reminds us of a Gary Glass. We'll we'll, we'll use that term, but. uh I um oh, that's cold. <laughs> I know. Sorry, Gary, glasses of the world. Um, I always love <laughs> the joke about the cab driver about how sushi because that was also a very '80s thing where sushi was suddenly this like exotic dish that everybody was talking about at the time. <laughs> and so, because I feel like right. American cuisine back then was like. Either it's burgers or you go to, quote, Italian food with, like, red red and white checkered cloth, you know, checkered tablecloths, yeah. or, you know, what was Chinese food back then. And sushi was suddenly this high-end exotic thing. But I just thought it was so funny, that line about, like, I bought some sushi, I brought home, cooked it up, it tastes just like fish. That always cracks me <laughs> up. <laughs> and I love also, again, this movie is such a time capsule. Like, I love the whole idea of the personal. I mean, you, this is one of those movies you could almost title it Life Before the Internet. Um, right because <laughs> it was so much about how they couldn't get in touch with each other and the personal ads um that part about it i always find really fascinating i also love the soundtrack because i mean it was uh, thomas newman who eventually did american beauty and six feet under and finding nemo okay. and a ton of other stuff he's a very distinctive style uh this is one of his early movies as well and i always love the soundtrack
1: yeah there was a discussion on Oh, it might have been a movie crush the other day. Something where, where they were talking about films that you could ruin with the introduction of a mobile phone. And, and I think this is one of them. Mm-hmm. Ten, ten years later, and Roberta has a cell phone. Oh, yeah. But the whole amnesia thing doesn't happen. Or, yeah. I mean,
2: even face... I mean, Madonna's character would have completely been all over social media. <laughs> yeah. And you could have tracked her every movement. Also, um, so After Hours was this other movie with, with um, Rosanna Arquette. It was mm. about a guy who lives in the Upper West or Upper East Side, who goes down to Soho and literally cannot get back from Soho. Okay, Like he he literally doesn't, he can't, he loses his money and therefore he cannot get back. Apparently credit cards don't seem to. Anyway, it's it's, it's <laughs> such a movie that like literally could not happen without, you know, today.
1: Um, Mandy, is there anything from this? Were there any lines, any other performances?
0: Um, Well, I've already talked extensively about how much I really liked the ending of the movie. Um, and not because the movie was over. I actually liked how the movie ended. Um, generally, no. I mean, some of the things you guys have talked about are things I really like. The, the sushi joke stands out as the funniest moment of the whole movie. I liked that they danced, like Madonna picked a Madonna song out of the jukebox and they danced to it. <laughs> but I mean, it was a good song. Other than that, I I was so wrapped up in the absurdity of the whole thing that I... Nothing else really stood out to me as something that I would really, really like. Yeah. But I didn't hate it. Like, I feel like so often movies that we do on the show I either love or I hate. And this one just kind of falls in the middle. Um, would I watch it again? Yes. I wouldn't seek it out probably. But I, I, if it was on TV, I'd probably stop and watch it again. So there's that.
2: I mean, have Mm -hmm. you – I know that you were um, uh, sheltered in that sense, but are there things that you sort of loved when you were younger that meant a lot to you that you've come back to later and been like, what was I thinking? Like, why did this particular thing really, you know, mean a lot to me?
0: Oh, there's a ton of things that are like that Um, and and probably too many to to really list here. But So, yeah, I I totally understand the nostalgia factor behind that. I think a lot of the movies that we do on this show – Uh, have, for the fans that that come on to talk about them for us, generally speaking, the nostalgia factor and the sentimental factor is the number one reason why people still love it. That's why Clerks is still so beloved when that movie is god-awful.
2: I didn't like Clerks very much either. And I would never argue it was a great movie. Like, Like It always bugs me when people then try to argue that this thing they love, that they feel nostalgic about, is still great, and I'm like, eh... I mean, if it really is, fine. But I mean, sometimes I'm like, I think you're mixing up. This one, I completely, I mean, this is a, this is like, I don't even know what I would have thought of this movie if I didn't see it at this one particular time in my life, where I was thinking how much I wanted to escape, you know. Oh, and I just started going to junior high in Cambridge, which was much edgier. Cambridge is next to Boston, and it was much edgier back then than it is now. Um, and so I was having my first taste of the city and it's like, I would have no idea what I would have thought of this movie if I'd seen it a few years earlier or later, but it's, yeah, it's, it's for me, this was just a very weird, per, you know, this is personal to me as Pop-Tarts, which I don't eat anymore, but trust me when I was 14, it was the greatest thing ever.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like you saw this movie when you needed to see this movie.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then I cannot unsee this movie
1: through the eyes of, of what I was, yeah, of that age.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: I like, Mandy, that you were skirting around which film we've seen that other people love that you didn't Oh, love. yeah. Where were they? Because cause I think that you know you might get ganged up on if you admit you hated Monty Python.
0: Yeah, we're not going to talk about that, okay?
2: <laughs> oh, but that's so particular. That I'm not surprised by. That sense of humor <laughs> is very, very particular. And also, too, I feel like certain movies were ground or certain sense, like Monty Python was so groundbreaking for its time, but I feel like so many people have then riffed off of that. Like Star Wars, if you were to watch Star Wars now, the original Star Wars, having never seen it before, you would think it was the most derivative movie you've ever seen because it's like, you cannot unsee all of culture that's happened since then. Like so right. much has been, has happened since Monty Python, so much humor that's taken from it and then modernized it to whatever the sensibility was at the time that I could completely see why, Why, if you're just to watch it now, it might seem really kind of goofy or hokey.
0: Yeah, those are two really good words to describe it.
1: <laughs> oh, go back in my corner.
2: <laughs> no, I love Monty Python. But again, it's something no, no, that I absolutely. also, at that age, I was at just the right age to see mm-hmm. it at just the right time, that it was mind-blowing to me.
0: Yeah, I think that there are just some movies that you should not watch. Once you're an adult, if you've never seen it before, uh, Dumb and Dumber is a recent example of that.
2: <laughs> saw that like, as an adult. I did not like it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the people who were on the show with me to talk about it had both fallen in love with it as kids. It makes total sense. But yeah, coming coming to a movie like that as an adult just does not work.
2: Have you? So, I mean, I, I, I did look through your back catalog here, but I don't remember it all. Have you guys watched Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yes. Did you like it? <laughs> Because no. <laughs> I was going to say, that's actually one of the few movies that I've noticed people, it seems to hold up strangely enough. Like I know people who have not seen a lot of the Lucas Spielberg stuff and they'll see it now and they'll be like, what was this a big deal about? But for some reason that one, I mean, I love that movie obviously too, but that one I've noticed, but I didn't do it for you.
0: No. Um, and it, it seemed to shock everybody. So it, it's just me. I'm I'm an odd duck, I think.
2: Hmm.
1: Some, some of that was it, it is actually problematic when you watch it with modern eyes and you go oh oh i'm not sure i'm happy about some of this but then we watched last crusade and that is still one of the great action films i think even now
2: it's funny too because that movie i i saw um they have these um like you know in new york in the summer they've got all these outdoor movie stuff and they'll like blow up a giant inflatable screen like by the brooklyn bridge and Mm -hmm. Everyone goes down the Brooklyn Bridge Park and watches, you know, you have like a picnic type thing. And so I was watching Last Crusade and it was all these sort of millennials who who probably were God, probably born after the movie came out. And um, I remember at the time it bugged me how jokey the movie was, how much it was sort of tongue in cheek. And yet it plays it aged very well because it's so aware of how absurd it is in a way that Mm. i think that raiders probably took itself too seriously um that maybe it's not aging as well as something like last crusade is for that reason because i remember the audience the the people they loved it and partially because they could tell the movie was in on its own joke
1: yeah very very much so i think the addition of the sidekick really makes Mm. it so it's not just harrison ford doing his thing with you know, a bunch of skits. Yeah.
2: Did you watch that one too the, on the show? Mm.
0: Yeah, we did both of them.
2: Did that do anything for you?
0: I liked it much more than I did Raiders. Uh, my issue is that Indiana Jones is a really terrible human being. Is <laughs> your why? Um, worse so whenever he's around a woman. <laughs> um. And his treatment of Marion in the first one, I it drove me up the wall. I couldn't stand it. But because in Last Crusade, uh, it was him and his dad, and there wasn't a woman there to influence him, I could tolerate him much, much more.
2: Oh, God. Have you watched the Sean Connery James Bond movies? No. You will not like those. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. They
2: make Indiana Jones seem like he's uh, a modern day feminist.
0: <laughs> oh, good Lord. Yeah. Okay. We're not doing those, Matthew. <laughs> no.
2: And again, I grew up loving the Sean Connery movies, but yeah, they are. Even now, I'm like, ooh, this is really problematic.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I enjoy some problematic movies, too. I mean, we've already talked about Grease a little bit. Like, I fully see how problematic it is. And it's still one of my probably top 10 movies. Um, It just depends on where you were, like, at what point in your life you were when you saw them, I think. Um, And then as long as you can acknowledge that it's problematic and still say, I see this problem, but I'm still going to like it because it's from my childhood. I think that's totally fine.
2: I mean, this, you know, going back to my podcast about sci-fi and fantasy, this is a huge, huge problem right now with mm. toxic fandom, with the predominantly middle-aged white guys who grew up with Star Trek and Star Wars at a time where it was, it, was, it was considered progressive to have literally like one person of color in the movie or two people of color. And yet mostly it was, you know, dominated by white men. And the nostalgia factor mixed in with that kind of, toxicity is just it is dangerous i mean it is a mm-hmm. huge huge and especially with last jedi um and also too i think what these guys how a lot of these boys saw like you know like luke skywalker was their hero growing up and to see him as a very deeply messed up old dude who's made some massive mistakes in his life just infuriated so many people um and i was like yeah, okay i can buy it but it's, it's interesting. I mean, the nostalgia factor is a, is, is a big, big, big issue with these franchises that have tried to keep mm. going and yet mm-hmm. adapt for the 21st century.
1: Yeah. You, you mentioned Batman and DC is suffering through all this at the moment. Everything they do, every chance they take to try and introduce someone with a different bit of ethnicity, sexuality, some sort of background. it, it just fires up the trolls online and people shouting about it yeah it's a real shame yeah
2: i mean the comics themselves i mean in marvel too they had a whole thing Mm. where you know thor lost his you know wasn't able to wield the hammer so jane foster becomes thor or they did a lot of the stuff or tony stark um i think goes into a coma or something and so this uh, young black woman becomes basically iron man but she calls herself iron heart um yeah the the trolls just were enraged by that kind of thing
1: and it's, it's a real shame it's it's stopping good stories coming through so we hope the creators keep rocking on with yeah, it yeah yeah and this nostalgia
2: mm. factor you know i mean it's and also too if, if you're going to keep these things going i mean um and it but at the same time it brings in a lot of new people you know who are really mm. excited Absolutely. you know star trek discovery has brought in a lot of new fans into star trek you know which uh, is a much much more diverse cast, and puts uh, people of color in a much much more prominent roles than they used to be so i feel like as many of the old fans as it may be alienating or like that's not star trek as i grew up with it suddenly (laughs) it's bringing in new fans who are like oh my god this totally speaks to me all of a
1: sudden
0: Yeah. yeah i think it's just important for people to remember that you can still love what you loved while growing now Doing something new and different now that is more appropriate doesn't negate the love that you have of the original thing. And I think people think it has to.
2: Yeah. I mean, somebody I think it was one of these movies or something. I remember one of the headlines was, this movie did not ruin my childhood because that's not how time works. Right.
0: (laughs) That's exactly it.
1: Yeah. I think that was
2: Ghostbusters. Yes, I think it was probably, which actually was not a very good movie, the new Ghostbusters, which is too bad. But um. Oh, see, I loved it. Oh, did you?
0: <laughs> yeah, we did an episode on it and it was basically an hour of me gushing about it. So. Oh, really?
2: Because I, yeah, I didn't love it and I wanted to like it. Um, I love all those actresses. Why did you not like it? Or, sorry, why did you like it?
0: Um, I think, honestly, it has a lot to do with when I came to... Accept and love my fandoms and and my embracing of like sci-fi and things like that, um, because I didn't do that until I was an adult, and so I didn't grow up with the original Ghostbusters and like the original Star Trek and all of those things, and so now to see people who are my age just unabashedly loving sci-fi and the things that I love and just doing this thing and clearly having so much fun with it just made me fall in love with it
2: Mm. what other sci-fi stuff has really spoken to you now
0: well actually we've been watching the original Star Trek movies Mm -hmm. and I have surprisingly loved them a lot Really? yes even um the ones Matthew was sure I wasn't gonna like very much Um, We did them out of order. We started with The Wrath of Khan and then we did the motion picture and then we did the third one. And I enjoyed both the first one and the third one more than I enjoyed the second one.
2: Wow, that's interesting.
0: And so it's been it's been a lot of fun of getting to see some of this older stuff and kind of seeing what I've missed while also being able to embrace kind of the modern stuff like the stuff that's out right now that I love that I wouldn't have ever thought that I would you mentioned Star Trek Discovery it's amazing uh the Orville was one of my favorite shows last year um I actually really want to figure out how to have the time to do a podcast devoted just to the Orville (laughs) so yeah it's been it's been great and I think watching other women just unabashedly love it was what did it for me with Ghostbusters.
2: Well, what did you, I'm just just going back to the original Star Trek because we were talking about things that are dated or whatever, mm-hmm. don't hold up. What was it that you really like about the original, those old Star Trek movies?
0: They focus a lot on relationship, um, specifically the relationship between Kirk and Spock and then Spock and Bones. And particularly, actually probably the first and the third one because neither of those movies had a specific active plot <laughs> like the second one did the second one was the wrath of Khan it was about taking down a villain one and three didn't have that and so I was really invested in the characters and the relationships that they had with each other and how self-aware the writers were in regards to those relationships mm-hmm. and I always go to things for the emotional impact and so those two really spoke to me in that respect
2: that's so interesting so you haven't watched Star Trek 4 yet
0: no it's coming up in uh, a couple months, I think.
2: I'd be curious to see what you think of that one, because it ties back into Desperately Seeking Susan, um, believe it or not. Because you know the pl- the premise is that they go back in time to 1986. hmm <laughs> It's the okay. 1980s. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's a fun... I, mean, I remember it being a blast, that movie. It was really fun. But I'd be curious to see what you think. Um, because it is sort of poking fun at its own time, even though it is you know, made in its own time. Right. Um, it's, it's so self-aware at that point, you know. I remember this. they, they, um, they land the, the Enterprise in the middle of Golden Gate Park and they put a cloaking device on it and Kirk goes, okay, everyone remember where we parked.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think we're going to do that one soon. Um,
1: mm, I think we, when we do, we'll make sure you get a, a link to it.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, is there anything else that we need to discuss about Desperately Seeking Susan?
1: I actually had another question for Eric about whether there were, there were other films like this about, uh, you know, you've, you've compared this quite directly to the wizard of Oz, but things that speak to this, uh, sort of big city attitude, small town attitude, the comparisons, are there other films that you can think of that, uh, are like this or things that you've enjoyed?
2: I mean, certainly as a kid, um, risky business, another movie I watched way before I probably should have. I think that was R rated. Um, that one was another one, which to me um, was very much about the city versus the the suburbs, the sort of um, and um, Ferris Bueller as well, although uh, w- was another one of those that, you know, to me had that Kansas Oz sort of dichotomy um, mm-hmm. that I and I still think about it. I mean, living in New York, I mean, I do totally feel like I'm in Oz right now. Um, and you know, my favorite line—I did an episode. I've done a lot of similar kind of episodes on this theme. I did—I um, did a series of episodes on Doctor Who, and I talked mm-hmm. about uh, the companions with Doctor Who, the ones that go with the Doctor. How once they've seen the wonders of the universe, they can't—they can't go back to their lives anymore, which has actually got kind of a sad element to it because a lot of the people they loved were still in those old. You know, in, in a world where they didn't hadn't been to all parts of time and space. But I, I always quote Salman Rushdie's favorite one of his favorite movies is um, The Wizard of Oz. And he said, you know, the moral of the movie is you, there's no place like home. But he said, in fact, the novels, that's not what happens. What happens is that Dorothy can never readjust to Kansas. And she eventually moves to Oz. And he says, the real moral is once you've seen Oz, you can never go back to Kansas. And he talked about himself, how, you know, for a lot of people in the West, maybe India would be their Oz. But growing up in India, England was his Oz. And that once he had been there, he could never go back home again. And uh, how everyone has their own, you know, yeah, everybody has their own personal Kansas and their own personal Oz, whatever that is. I mean, you know, I met a guy recently who... Um, uh you know grew up in a you know grew up in a city and moved to the suburbs you know where my parents grew up and he loved it he was like i didn't i never seen so many trees in my life (laughs) you know he's just like i never want to leave
0: yeah the grass is always greener on the other side and sometimes it stays greener when you go
1: yeah that's true Would you recommend at least watching whether or not we podcast about risky business? Oh yeah, I love. I mean, again, mm-hmm. I
2: you know it's so hard for me to 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 discount to to sorry, disassociate what I felt about a movie, especially as a kid, okay. from whether I think it's good. But I certainly, I, I think it holds. I think it's actually it is worth seeing just because this was Tom Cruise's big, big starring role, and it's actually an interesting critique of capitalism. Um, because the movie initially was going to have him sort of punished for his crimes. But, I mean, sorry, spoiler alert, he basically kind of gets away <laughs> with everything, which in the end is like both uh, the happy ending the test audiences really wanted, but at the same time a far more damning critique of capitalism, you know, because he, be, it, it, he really, um, it's interesting. It's It's a morally very interesting, ambiguous movie in terms of like, what you can get away with if you can get away with it. But it also has this big city versus and it's also one of those wonderful 80s soundtracks that I love so much. So yeah, I definitely recommend. I mean it it is of its time, but I think it is definitely worth looking at either way, whether you like it or not.
0: Yeah, it is on the list. And I I have never met a Tom Cruise movie I didn't like. So I hope that we get to it one day.
2: I think also the thing you might appreciate is that this is before Tom Cruise I mean, he's still very much Tom Cruise, but this is before he was such a big star. And so I think he acts a lot goofier and more vulnerable in this movie than he ever would in later movies. Okay. Um, but he is still unquestionably, like, he's emerging full-formed as Tom Cruise, even as a very young guy.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, sometime in 2019, maybe.
1: Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go and see that one out. i like a recommendation. Yeah, yeah, totally. Go cool. for it. It's a great... Uh,
2: movie as far as i knew at the time
1: (laughs) (laughs) don't hold it against you is what you're saying
2: (laughs) all
0: right well if you would like to join the conversation you can use the hashtag pc deprived on twitter you can find us on twitter facebook and instagram at eloquent gushing you can also email us at podcast at eloquentgushing.com or you can leave us a voice message at speakpipe.com slash eloquent gushing you can find all of us on twitter i'm at mandy K.
1: And I'm at Matthew Vose. Eric, this has been a fabulous conversation. Thank you so much for coming and joining us. Uh, where were people able to find you and your work?
2: Ah, yes. Yeah. So my work, where I talk about nothing like Desperately Seeking Susan, is <laughs> Imaginary Worlds. Uh, it's a podcast, as we talked about earlier, about science fiction and fantasy, but takes sort of a public radio approach. My website is imaginaryworldspodcast.org. Um, of course, you can subscribe wherever you get podcasts. I'm at Twitter at
1: e. malinsky, and the show's Twitter handle is Worlds Pod. Terrific. Uh, everyone keep out for the next ones. You you had one recently about uh, food in fantasy. Mm-hmm. I was just listening to that thinking, I wish I'd sent in about Lemba's bread. That's all I ever want to eat, just to see.
2: <laughs> oh Wait, what was that from? <laughs>
1: uh, from Lord of the Rings. That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing that fills them up. Because you talked about the elven wine. I was just like, oh, I want to know if that bread is that filling
2: oh yeah 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 that's so it's funny i was like that i know that's some medieval fantasy world but i can't remember which one it was Hmm. yeah i got so many people that were like i can't believe we didn't talk about this and i'm like i know i know (laughs) i I know but like i like i said that episode could have been three hours long i mean there was so much stuff i could have talked about it was that was a really hard episode to pare down to figure out Hmm. what i wanted to talk about and a lot of it is i just left it to my guests to see what they were gushing
1: about that was great thanks Uh, Pop Culture Deprived is 100% funded by listeners like you through Patreon. Anything you can give gives access to exclusive content, whilst also helping support the network and develop new shows. To find out more, visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And if you want to keep up to date with the latest news and announcements, remember to subscribe to the weekly newsletter. The link is on eloquentgushing.com.
0: And we'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we'll talk about heat. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay.
1: And boy, you've got to prove your love to me, yeah. Oh,
2: that took me a second.
0: (laughs) Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, please visit eloquentgushing.com.